Hello, this is Janet Gallen welcoming you to another episode of Love Letters Live. And today's guest is Rabbi Peretz Mochkin, who is an Orthodox rabbi, but also a very dear and close and longtime friend of mine, I'm happy to say. And I have really even had a, co a social conversation with you, Rabbi Mochkin, without nice. learning something really interesting. So I'm going to turn this over to you and let you say hello. And, to, you know, Miriam, your wife had told, for those listening, had told me that you were starting to do some writing, which is why I thought it would be wonderful to have you come here and talk about whatever it is that is, you know, occupying your, your thought and your soul right now. So you go ahead and tell us what you're going to talk about. Hi, Janet. I'm so Hi. happy to be here. Thank you. Me too to see Hi. you. It's a wonderful way to visit, isn't it? Yes, this is the best. I uh, love what you do. I love your source of inspiration and your vibrancy. I got to live next to you for a number of years. Yes. And so it's really special to be back on with you and converse with you and your audience. You. So I'm so happy to be it's here. It's a miracle. Life, is, life can be beautiful if you choose to see it as such. Oh, yes. You know? Yes. Well, I, so I've always what appreciated- What are you going to talk about today? Well, I wanted to talk about, you, you mentioned I'm writing. Um, the writing that I'm doing is connected to what I've been doing on a personal level, where I've been trying to bridge the gap between the spiritual sources of Judaism and sort of the mystical and bring it to people in a secular environment. Essentially, since life needs meaning and purpose to feel uh, the energy of moving forward and overcoming obstacles specifically, I guess you can coast on the beach without particularly deep purpose, but to really be motivated, you have to have goals and goals have you know, layers of purpose and mission-driven type of vision. So there is a spiritual layer. A spiritual layer are the things that are beyond just the physical. And when you bring that to the forefront of people's lives, it gives them the tools and more importantly, the words to describe. Kind of like uh, when we first spoke years ago about love letters and the column you used to write, it was so much about like when you learn to express your love or express your story, you find that... Uh, thread and that narrative of how to softly engage with mm -hmm. your life and really see how there's a larger narrative. So that's the writing I've been doing, trying to bring that into topics and ideas. And it's actually a lot harder to write than it is to speak for me. So, oh, it's, been a, sure. yes. <laughs> so yes. it's a new skill that I'm developing. So hopefully we'll get to the finish line. You have so much to say that it'll be nice if you can get it down the way you want it. Okay, go ahead. What's, what's today? Well, Coming up in a week or so on the 15th, that's Friday uh, from when we're talking today, a little bit over a week, is going to be Passover. And Passover, I think it's pretty popular in America overall amongst even secular Jews or even the culture at large may have heard of Passover. But Passover is really the birth of the Jewish people to a certain degree. So I think it requires some of that spiritual narrative for it to be relevant. I've been thinking so much about lately how we have to take so much of life from interactions and interconnectivity to being relatability and relationships. Instead okay. of me interacting with you, I want to relate to you and I want to have a relationship with you. And that's a whole different well, well, level. Go ahead and talk about the difference between those two things, because I think many people think interacting is having a relationship. Hmm. I have a beautiful friend. Her name is uh, Sloan. She loves to say that interactions are too close to transactions. And when you have a transaction, you're essentially bartering. It's kind of a, bar a deal, a bargain. 
And that's, that's not a deep relationship. Okay. It's perhaps within the sphere of relationships, but relationships are connected to relatability and the ability to incorporate the individual. So it's beyond just an exchange of, of let's call it uh, um, convenience. It's, well, what it's is, what does that mean, incorporate the individual? So it's kind of like if you want to have a deep relationship, it may start with we, re- we interact with each other. And we transact with that's kind of that's kind of like introductory small talk. Yeah, essentially. And or even like uh, basic, you know, yeah, (laughs) even initial even initial, let's say in dating, initial dating is like a commonality. Uh And uh, and they're still on an interaction level. And sadly, some relationships remain that way because they stay in like, what are you bringing to me in my life? And what am I bringing to you in your life? And those are what we're building on. Sometimes even our love is built on these interactions where because I like the way you look, so I fall in love with you, or I like the way you sound, or I like the way you say things. But those are still in the level of interactions where I'm getting something and therefore I'm responding. But a deep relationship, one that could last the test of time and certainly the test of challenges requires a relatability where I learn to accept your whole existence. I incorporate your existence into my own where I'm willing to do things for you that are not because I find you attractive or because you're so smart or so wonderful. It's because I simply have given myself over to you. And that's where there's a relationship that can truly withstand challenges because I've given over a part of myself. Can you say you. what lets can you say what lets you do that? At like at what point do you give yourself over? Okay, I can only talk personal uh, right now with you about let's say in my marriage, for example. I made that the premium goal in dating my wife, Miriam, who's wonderful. I said, I want to be married to her forever. That's my goal. But so many marriages don't necessarily end that way. So I have to do some things for that to happen. For one, I have to start finding things that are not necessarily to my benefit. I have to fall in love with this person just because they are who they are. And that requires uh, sort of creating a selfless roadmap for which parts of this person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with are not really about me at all. They're about purely me being able to relate to her, her existence as something that I want to contribute to, or, you know, be able to, to help grow, or more importantly, leave the interaction level of the relationship and enter into a place where it's purely about, well, this person's existence on its own is so valuable that I'm, fixating on the value, the valued nature of that person and not what they bring to the table. Oh, okay. So now is this, I know that you wanted to talk about Passover and I realize there's a relationship with God here somewhere. Are, are we, is this somehow related to Passover in some way that you wanted to talk about? Passover has a lot of, a lot of these ideas because it has a lot of rituals. It has the idea of breaking bread together, sitting around the table and not breaking bread, but breaking matzah and uh, being able to, to interact. But the interactions are really only the front end of the Passover experience. Like there's a holiday and we have a front end of the holiday, but every holiday for it to really be a holiday has a back end experience about relationships and relatability. So what is and this one? So Passover is interestingly enough, Passover means to overlook the transaction and to go straight to there being a relationship 
between us and God. The relationship between us and God, though, was not, it's like, how do you take a, a relationship for the human being who has a limited time on earth, a limited amount of resources, has to put all their effort into creating this physical life to an energy? Essentially, God is an existence that is not defined by physicality. It's defined by energy or force or more for us, an experience of like, I, I, I felt and experienced things that are outside myself. It's like spirituality at its highest level essentially is just an energy that I don't describe because it isn't mine. I can only describe it based on how I experience it. And that is how really we should describe God is announce that I'm describing something based on my experience. Even somebody who rejects God to me, I'm like, well, they're, they're rejecting based on their experience of life and based on their understanding, but there's still an energy out there. And there's still a force that went from being essentially nothing through evolution or big bang or either way that, that, that calls to you or that your mind accepts, it's still an energy that went from something into a physical embodiment that we deal with. And to a certain degree, that's really what Passover is about. There was a concept of the Jewish people, ancient history of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and the Jewish people were people with a tradition and a culture, but they were originally called Hebrews and Hebrew meant other people were just not like everyone else. They were defined by not by being like everyone else, right? Okay. But once the Passover story happened, the Passover was, we're defined by people who are pursuing a, a, a sense of higher purpose as a human being, meaning human beings are in a transaction phase. What do you do um, defines your level of existence. For example, in ancient Egypt, I have a friend, Dr. Michael Thaler, lives in San Francisco. He's like, the Jews weren't the only slaves in Egypt. Everyone was a slave in Egypt. It was a hierarchy. That was the society that everyone had to play their role. And you weren't born in a particular environment like we are today where I could believe I could be more than I am. You were born in an environment where, where you are, you just play your role to the fullest. So if you're a slave on the bottom of the totem pole, well, that's, that's your life to the fullest hmm. and do it as great as you can. And that's why there were Jewish people then who struggled with the idea. You looking for something? So how does all this relate to what people do today around a table? You know, you talked about the rituals. Janet. Oh, it froze. Leaving Egypt is about, and this Passover experience is about essentially letting go of this transactional space where I'm limited to where I am and grow. Uh. So escaping means that in more than one sense. You are froze. What we're born into and starting to think like, how could we grow beyond this? Is there more? Is there a lot more to the world? And thus began the journey of really the exploration of, well, what's more? What does that even mean? So what a beautiful experience for us to recount and sit together next week, Friday night, and sit with friends and family and community, invite people together Wait, and so discuss, is there more? That the, the journey away from slavery was physical and spiritual. As much, and add to that mental. Oh, that's- The idea of being, leaving, leaving a mental constraint. We create our own boxes sometimes, our own places where we get comfortable 
and we don't want to leave that space because of the fear that leaving the little space that I created is going to be enough. But you, you and everyone in this world has really an infinite ability to dream and to experience life in a much larger way. And in the world, sometimes you could feel like, oh, I don't want to dream too much because there's insecurities involved. And, and perhaps it's selfish of me to want more for myself. But the Passover story tells us that wanting more for yourself is not a selfish experience. It's, a, it's actually how you grow. It's actually how you leave your limitations and enter into a new state of essentially relationships. And that affects all areas of your life. It doesn't just affect you and the person you're in a relationship with, but the actual relationship between you and the external reality that you live in and deal with all the time. How, how do you think people are able to make that mental transition from the um, being enslaved to being free? It's a beautiful question because ultimately the Passover experience is through sharing it with others. It really is about bringing people together that the way the experience happened, take, for example, the table that you set for Passover, it's filled with such beauty and grace. And you could think like, oh, it's because Janet's super talented, which you are. <laughs> but on a deeper level, it's because you're carrying something that came before you and you're setting the table for the things that will come after you. So there's a moment of Passover where you see yourself as an actual chain in the link of not only who you are, but in civilization. Like if you live a great life and go beyond who you are in the limited, you end up being able to be somebody who's, who grows into the highest capacity that they could be. But when you become this higher consciousness level of yourself, it's really not for you anymore. Actually, the people who come after you are not only benefiting from that, they're on a new layer and a new platform and a new space where they could now reach a higher level. Oh, well, you know, I was going to say, I have a feeling for most people, most groups in the world, nobody wants to be the one who breaks the link, who drops the ball. I certainly yeah. identify with that. A big and motivation think, being think... a rabbi was because there were people before me who brought over you know, the Jewish tradition from the old country. And I'm like, well, I could live for myself here in America. I have no responsibility technically towards having to perpetuate my roots, but do I want to be the one who would Wait, stop? So what made you feel that you wanted to do that? Well, I, I really saw that the peer to peer level in my life, like the people my age in the world were not adopting this because they didn't see the personal um, gratification. It was mostly just felt like an obligation. And there's, there's, yeah, and yet you have quite a following of people who weren't practicing anything in particular. Yes. And they and that, look at you and how you lived and kind of saw the beauty in it. I think they, they're getting my, at least my inspiration is to show this as not an obligation, but an opportunity to essentially when you fulfill your life in its fullest, you actually are moving it forward. So when, especially young secular Jews, when they hear that, and for that matter, anybody, it's not really rejecting where you're from. So people feel like today, like, oh, I can't perpetuate Judaism because perhaps that means that I need to be a religious person. Ah, that's and, a good point. And that's a lot of responsibility because especially if you didn't grow up religious, it's like, what am I adopting here? How much can I take upon this? But 
when you realize that actually whoever you are, if you do live your life to the fullest and you take real authentic steps in all areas of your life, you're more than just perpetuating. You're creating the future right there, right in your present. If you're right kind of touching on something that you're saying people count in either way, they count whether they are particularly observant or they're yeah, not. Because they, they define themselves by the rituals. Uh-huh. And ultimately we have to define ourselves by our own, let's call it for today's conversation, the interplay between you know, transactional living versus relationship and relatable living. And the difference is a world apart where one is only about suiting your needs and one is about actually asking yourself, why am I interacting with life the way I am? Is, is the fact that we're living through um, this horrible plague of coronavirus and, and this the state that the world is in, is that, is that changing how you look at things at all or, or making them stronger? I think it's definitely challenging how I see the world, and, but I have to embrace that challenge. Like I can't, I, it can't just reinforce my beliefs because then I'm not learning much from the experience. And it certainly would make me more callous and less compassionate towards the people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. And let alone I myself, I'm part of the universe. So I'm struggling too with COVID and with the state of the world. So it has to be that it's something beyond that's asking us, it's challenging us to, at least I could talk for a personal level, it's challenging me to ask whether or not I am actually living up to all of these ideas and rituals and lifestyle and that I've what are, chosen. What are, the, what are the ideals that you should be living up to or that you feel humankind should be living up to? What are the ideals? In other words, why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? You know, a big element of Passover is to, it says to teach your children. Yeah. And whether you have a child or not, there is a child within you that you have to talk to as well. So it really is more than just your own children of progeny, but it's also, you know, the, the work that comes from your life. The child represents something that comes from your existence into the world. And on Passover, we ask ourselves, what really comes from us? Uh, a slave, in, in a Jewish definition, is someone whose work that comes from them is not for them. In other uh-huh. words, they're working and all of the output of what they do is for someone else. And all of the reward and all of the reward and all the glory. Mm-hmm. So although people are happy to get paid, for example, to further a company's efforts in today's language, Judaism would see that as a touch of slavery, just a touch of slavery there. I see, okay. And um, ideally you would be, let's, let's call it um, an independent contractor mm-hmm. where you're valuing your energy and your time and you're investing it into different vessels and we're creating a partnership where the person who's paying you is getting what they need and you're getting to express and use your energy the way you can. Okay, so so just kind of related to that, what is the point of having to tell this story to your children every year? I mean, after 30 years, the story gets a little repetitive, right? Unless you create the story for your own personal narrative and, oh. and it comes through your own perspective, you are right. It's going to become a little stale. Right. But if it's I mean, you can't watch reruns more than twice. That's right. But think about it just by definition, if it's the same, same box that you're, that you're showcasing every year on Passover, it's the same story you're telling. That means you're not really incorporating yourself into the story. So how do you keep it fresh personally? 
for example, I try to have as many conversations about Passover with people as I can, because I start hearing from others what their experience is like, not only with the holiday, but with, you know, their own perspective and their own. That, that's probably true challenge. in every culture. You know, they tell stories and they've got to keep it fresh so that it matters generation Absolutely. after generation, right? Absolutely. So imagine you treat Passover as a time where you have to be a storyteller. You have to share something mm -hmm. from your own unique perspective. You're not going to be able to share the same thing twice. You're going to have constantly new things to share. So and do you Passover find that, you do that every year that you incorporate some of what the world is handing you into what you do, into how you tell the story? I, ideally, I'm going to tell the story with a new twist every year. In other words, I'm going to say the old story and then I'm going to say, this is what it inspires me this year based on what I'm dealing with. There is a, a, an opinion in Talmud, which is written about 2000 years ago, that Passover could have been our Rosh Hashanah, our New Year's, because oh, the energy of Passover is a bit New Year's. You have to reestablish what this year is about. So it's actually a beautiful time marker in the calendar to have a time where I ask, what have I perhaps passed over? What have I skipped over this year? It's, or what should I skip over? Perhaps uh -huh. I should be passing over certain things and I'm holding on to certain things. But the key so component- letting go, letting go of the things that are enslaving you. Oh yeah. And here's the secret yeah. ingredient. Passover is about asking questions. Yes, yes. So when you get together with other people on Passover, it's about really asking questions. What has changed? Have we left this experience of slavery and that now can come up in work, it could come up in emotions, it could come up in interactions versus relationships. There's so many spaces where these limitations and slavery arise that it's worth examining. Now, now what about the aspect of, I'm, I'm gonna try to get this right um, as a question, of, of feeling, and again, I say for, you know, for, for everybody, whatever the culture is, feeling that you have been freed from slavery at that table, that you don't look at it as somebody else's event, well, that, it, that it has to do with you personally have been freed. I'll give you a silver lining of, of COVID and there, there aren't many, but there are some. And one of them is, is that up until Passover, since I'm 16 years old, I've been leading public Passover seders. Have at, you? Six, yeah. at 16, I bumped into someone at our local synagogue and he said, we need somebody who can lead a Seder in Lithuania. And I said, oh, absolutely. I know people. Me said, in. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, they need to be 21. And I said, I'm 21. I was 16, but right. I had a little, I had a little beard. I had, I hadn't shaved. I'd never shaved. And so he said, fine. He <laughs> found out, he found out after I led the Seder, but because I did a good job, uh -huh. he, uh, he was like, okay, okay. But you know, I just felt that attraction. I needed to go. My parents were like, where are you going? We're having Passover. I'm like, no, I got to go. I got to get there. So since then, a little, white, a little white lie is okay. Hey, if you got to go do good things, sometimes you got to, you got to well, use the truth thing. as, as, as fuel, like we'll get to you, you know, <laughs> uh, it'll come out in the, in the larger, you know, that you can't handle the truth means that truth isn't always perfect in a direct form. Sometimes it needs to emerge uh, through experiences. Yes. And, and eventually so, you got to be 21. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Eventually I got there. So I led these Passover experiences all these years and uh -huh. each one had something truly unique. 
And we have many beautiful things that we've done with community people all these years. Great. Last year was the first time I ever had a Seder with just myself, my oh. wife, and my children. It was just us. And the amount of learning and relatability that I had and just that small experience was something that I think really encapsulated everything I've ever felt about Passover. Which is what? Which is everybody really has a question to ask and something to say. My oldest to my youngest, I'm blessed with my, my wife and I, we have seven children and they all, it was just us. It was direct attention. There were no distractions and everyone had something beautiful to say. No one looked at the clock. Could you imagine all my children, even the little ones, either they just fell asleep where they were or <laughs> stayed up with us as late as possible because they just kept being encouraged to ask and to be, be inspired what, what and be a of, part what of What kind of questions did they ask? Do you remember? May I, may I ask that? Sure. Well, you know, the, the general question was, is this what slavery is, being stuck oh. in our house for COVID? Ah. Is this what slavery feels like? We're locked up here. We had to quarantine several times. We different one of uh, different uh, children or or my wife and I. We've all had COVID uh, once or twice, and right? so yeah. So over the year and a half, we had oh. many family quarantines. The first one, the first uh, week or two week ones were okay. By the third or fourth time, they became very difficult. Right, really locked up together. We're blessed with all the deliveries and ability to get all those things, but it right. definitely was was a challenge. And so by the time Passover came, it was like, well, is this, is this what we mean? We how do we, is this slavery? Is this what it feels like? So those are very, very deep things to ask of your parents, because not every generation experienced that. Of, or of, to recognize you know, that you can be enslaved by so many different methods. Yes. So right. really, really open this conversation that I never thought I'd really be able to have with them at that age of, you know, yes, slavery is predominantly in our minds until we learn how to uh, free our minds yeah, okay. from these limitations and through this concept of relationships and relatability, you know, sometimes it feels burdensome to be in a relationship with other people. But mm -hmm. if you see a relationship as essentially setting you free from transactions, then it's like every good relationship is actually a form of freedom. And a form of, course, of I, I mean, I must say are. no bias at all, but you happen to be married to one of the most adorable, intelligent women on earth. So, you know, I can see where conversations even around just her, because she's always asking and thinking and probably a good example for your children to have learned that. Thank you. Yes, she uh, she really she really is uh, something I, I feel very blessed <laughs> and uh, I'm lucky to, let me, to have let me ask you something I, because got married young. So it was a bit of luck that I that I could see that. Oh, speaking of you got married young and it's a little luck. Can we just shift over to love letters? Because, you know, how I am about that. That's what we are. And she was a guest when we were radio and she wrote a love letter. You know this, of course, she wrote a love letter to the matchmaker who brought the two of you together. I wonderful. You knew that, right? Yeah. I thought I, yep. that's, that was my turn on to love letters in general. Like, wow, you can bring out well, such so beautiful it, things. If you, if you were to write one right now, to whom would it be? I mean, I can see that you could want to write one to your children about this experience and what it meant to you and what you think it meant to them. And when they, when they open this letter in 30 years, they're going to have an important piece of history of their own lives. What do you think? I, I very much agree. I, I have, there's been a huge shift for the positive and how I see my children. Not that there was anything negative before, but right. 
you know, COVID has brought us under one roof in a way that I never thought we would be. Oh, when yeah. we set out to have seven kids, it was without uh, a plan of pandemic. Right. I, I don't think we would have, you know, had we known, oh, there's going to be a block of time where you're stuck together for two years. I, I don't think we could have could have anticipated and handled that right. because there, there are so many needs and so and and we had and, you know, we would have more resources if we had less kids, per se. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking as long as you're writing these days, you could easily I, I shouldn't say easily because I shouldn't jump into somebody else's head, but you could certainly write some letters to your children. Janet, I'm inspired. I'm going to write that letter yeah, about that Pesach okay. experience, Passover experience, yeah. because ultimately I wasn't asked what that experience was like till today. So you really bring it but up also, in a way that I'm inspired just, to do that. In terms of your own writing years later, you'll be able to look back and maybe incorporate what you felt today in something that you're talking about, you know, 20 years hence. I agree. And that's the message of Passover too, right? We, the, there's a text that's read along the Passover Seder called the Haggadah. So, Mm -hmm. and that, and that text is essentially a love letter to the children. It's a love letter Uh, to the future generations. Yeah. That's really what it is. It's incorporating sort of the narrative of our ancestors and what it meant to leave slavery and leave Uh the mentality of slavery. And when you talk about the mentality, that's always so interesting because you can't, you can't do much for yourself if you have a slave mentality. There was that whole thing about, you know, you can't really rule yourself until you are a generation born to freedom. We call slave mentality essentially a narrow mindedness uh-huh. another way to okay. say it, because you try to stay totally within your limits and your limits become even smaller. You mean the limits that other people set for you? Imagine, I guess a narrow, set yourself. Yeah. imagine a narrow road mm-hmm. and now imagine instead the middle path. They're essentially both on razor's edge, right? Because the narrow road is narrow and the middle road is also kind of, you have to balance yourself. And we could all get around the idea that we have to live a balanced life. But if we don't like create the elasticity in our mind that the balanced life is the incorporation of all of life, but in a healthy manner, it becomes narrow. And then instead of health, it becomes restrictive. And the restrictive leads to, you know, I don't want to call it sickness, but definitely, you know, some concerns about how, how I'm living. So really transforming narrowness into the middle balanced way is what Passover is about and what really, I would say, activated Judaism. And that's why this is the ultimate origin story for the Jewish people is this Passover experience is essentially learning to see yourself as the balance as Maimonides, who's 12th century mystic and scholar and doctor. He was a great Jewish leader. And he wrote that the balance means, the balance of life means that I see my next action as bringing the balance. You know, that's, that's so interesting that you're bringing this up now. You're talking about 12th century because pretty much everywhere you turn, I mean, not so much now because people haven't been allowed to go out of the house very much, but there were endless um, conferences and help and to find balance in your life. Finding balance in your life has been a huge project forever. Yes. You know, there are therapists. Especially today. Mm -hmm. I think today it's even more where we have a lot of distractions yes. and we have nonstop uh, feeds of, in, of information and opportunity oh, yeah. coming at us. Right. It, it could become very confusing of what balance is. Yeah. 
you know, but there have always been people who wanted to help us find that. That is, I just didn't think of that. Yeah. Yeah. And balance could feel like narrowness today. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for doing this with me. I always learn something when I listen to you. Thank you, dear. I hope you do write letters to your children. You'll be so glad you did in another 20 years. And so thank will they. Okay. I'm, thank I'm so you. inspired by you to be able to do this as well. Thank you, dear. I'll talk to you later. Thank you, Janet. Take, take care. Bye. Bye.